Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest today is Total Licensing's Francesca Ash. Based out of the UK, she is the owner, publisher, and director of Total Licensing, Total Licensing UK, Total Licensing Australia, Total Art Licensing, Total Brand Licensing, all in print and online. She has over 16 years reporting on, advertising, and supporting the licensing industry. We had a fantastic conversation about her journey, the state of the intellectual property licensing business, and the future of the business. Now, without any further ado, I present to you Francesca Ash. And we're rolling. As I mentioned in the intro, today we are speaking with Francesca Ash from Total Licensing. How are you doing today, Francesca? I'm good, thank you, Mark. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's a beautiful day here in Toronto. It's very nice here, actually, today. Gotta really love the summer. So, um, yeah, let's just jump right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay. We started Total Licensing 15 years ago. Um, we ran magazines before that and have been in the licensing industry for years and years, really on the basis that the industry is fully global, really, and, and more so even now. Um, and there was nothing really there to cover the, the industry on a global basis so that we could cover you know, China and Russia and Australia and everywhere else, rather than the areas that used to be covered, which were purely really Western Europe and the US. So that was the, that was the logic behind starting the magazine. Um, how I got into licensing is, is like anything, you get into licensing by chance. My car broke down outside a job agency when I was very young. I went in and there was a, a job with the publishers who, who had a division that ran conferences. We ran, I, I was part of that. Somebody came up with the idea of running a licensing conference. I didn't even know what licensing was, uh, but we did. And we had 300 people show up from around the world. So I thought, yeah, it's a big business. And we, we sort of took it from there. Started with a directory, then a newsletter, and then it gradually expanded to, to a magazine, which is where we are now. And now we have total licensing. We have a magazine specifically for brands, uh, corporate brands, grown-up licensing, as we call it. <laughs> um, we have one for art licensing. And geographically, we have a magazine for Australia, and we have one for China now in dual language. So, um, And we haven't finished yet. <laughs> Outstanding. So tell us a little bit about the journey, about how you got to this place. Well, licensing, I suppose, I mean, 20, 25 years ago was very different, really, from now. It was in its infancy. Um, the attitude was very much, if it's on TV, it can be licensed, because people saw it as an easy way of making money. And what they tended to do was take a logo, slap it on a product and sell that. And for a while, it worked. Um, people got more sophisticated about it, got more wise to it, really, beyond, you know, it, was, it did go beyond the T-shirt or, you know, whatever. Um, and beyond the children's industry, too. So adults began to have licensed products, uh, which, to start with, it was all entertainment and it was all for kids. Exactly. And it seems to be swinging more and more towards the adult side. I mean, the, the children's side is always sort of looked at as the holy grail in licensing. However, yeah. I find that the adults 
seem to be growing more and more and more, even even with brands that the adults used when they were children. Yes, nostalgia element which comes in. Um, but yes, you have got, I think the kids industry, the problem with the children's industry, it's overcrowded. And particularly preschool is very, very overcrowded. There are a lot of, pre- there's a lot of preschool content out there. <laughs> there's a lot of content and not that many kids. <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> Another problem you have nowadays is, of course, the bigger companies get bigger and the smaller ones get smaller. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed just the other day, um, Hasbro had acquired Entertainment One. Yep. Yeah, that's so. one of the independents, one of the big independents, if you like, is gone. Exactly. And so happening, and and Nickelodeon bought Garfield not long ago, and so it goes on. So the consolidation continues. Um, Very much. I, so we'll we'll see what happens. I think that I think that eventually it's going to possibly end up. A lot of these properties might end up splitting out again because I mean that happens a lot of times with um, when large conglomerates like um, yeah. consumer products conglomerates they acquire a lot of companies and then they start to really look at their business and then they yeah. decide to focus on what they were originally good at and we'll see what yeah. happens but uh, but it's a very interesting times as they said it is very interesting times i mean coupled with the what you know the the problems if you like with retail it's very interesting times exactly and we'll get into that a little bit yeah <laughs> um, so um i'm sure you have a unique perspective covering the industry internationally um what do you see as the major differences between licensing in the americas and the emea and the uh, and the asia pacific region I think the main, I mean, within America, although TV is fragmented, as we know, but within the Americas, you tend to get the same properties. Uh, They tend to go territory-wide. In Europe, for example, while you get the big, of course, Disney are big, of course, Nickelodeon, of course, all the others, but you also get quite a lot of localized properties that maybe we have, you know, that we haven't heard of um, that do really well in their own territory. Russia is a very good example where they have quite a few uh, properties that are very Russian, very popular in Russia, very successful in Russia, and probably nobody's ever heard of them outside Russia. Well, one specific that I know of um, from Russia that has really popped up is Masha and the Bear. And I know in South America, it's huge. Whereas that is in... one Russian property that has actually managed, and, and they've been very clever about creating it and bringing in Western writers and Western this, to make it as global as they can. It's not obviously Russian. Um, there's no there's no speech, so it doesn't, you, you have no dubbing, you have no issues with speech. Um, and it's been tremendously popular, but that's one of the few Russian properties that has done really really well and yet within russia there are properties that are doing equally well very interesting so well i'll give you an example winnie the pooh who everybody seems to think that disney created which of course is wrong but okay the russians have their version taken from the book um which doesn't look anything like our winnie the pooh it's a small brown bear but it is more popular than winnie the pooh Interesting. Well, Winnie the Pooh is actually originally uh, Canadian. He was named after Winnipeg. 
Yes, yes, by a British by a British author. By a British author, yes. Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> very it international bear. They, the Russians took the book. They made their own films of it. Um, looks nothing like the Disney version, and yet it's immense. It's more popular than the Disney version in Russia. Very, very interesting. Yeah. I, I actually had no clue about that. That's uh... oh, there go. <laughs> so let's get a little bit more personal now. Tell us uh, your licensing story. I, as I said, went into a company that had a special projects division and we were running conferences and we met the creator of the Mr. Men, Roger Hargreaves, at a couple, a couple of times who kept saying to us, well, I'm making a lot of money on my books, but I'm making even more money on the merchandise. Um, we're all scratching our heads going, merchandise, what do you mean? When he explained, you suddenly realized, yes, of course, we see this everywhere, but nobody seemed to have a title for it. Nobody seemed to know what it was. Um, we ran a conference and it became very, very popular. It was very successful and thought, well, yeah, this is a big industry potentially and very global. And that's kind of where it started. So we started with a directory covering the people, you know, all the people working in the business, the different properties available for licensing around the world. We then did a, a monthly newsletter, then a weekly newsletter. This is before online. And eventually, logically, we went into magazines. Um, and that's that's in a nutshell how we got in. I got into it. Very interesting. That's uh, it's. I find a lot of people get into licensing either by accident yeah. or just because they're in a certain part of of an industry that services licensing, and they see this and they see how right. dynamic the business is, and they really want to just jump into it. Yeah, and I think it's it. It creates a community of people that really do love what they're doing. I think that, I mean, the industry is one of the nicest things about this industry, the people in it who are, it's a very friendly industry and, and interesting, unlike others where people protect the knowledge they have and information, this industry is more than willing to share. And I find it's actually getting better. People are getting more collaborative than yeah. they have been in previous years. It, 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 there was, uh, when I first started, it was very guarded. It was very, people were very close to the chest of, with their information, with, uh, you know, yeah. with now everybody's sort of, I mean, after playing the game for 20, 25 years, people sort of know what they should be, whether it's a brand or whether it's a um, uh, children's entertainment property. You sort of know what everybody else is charging. So, you know, and you know what eventually the sales are probably going to be with your projections and you kind of, you understand that. So people are a lot, a lot more open now than they used they to be. Yeah, they are. And it's a very friendly industry. It's a very collaborative, as you said. Yes. Very collaborative. Absolutely. So um, how have you seen the industry grow since you started? Oh, massively. When I started, it was, I think they reckoned it was worth about 20 billion, you know, at retail around the world. And it's now 10 times that. Um, it was very much children driven. It was kid stuff. I mean, it all really kicked off with Star Wars in 77, which was the first real major mega hit. 
Um, and Star Wars was immensely successful and obviously proved to people what could be done. And from then on, it was very much child-driven at that point. I mean, every toy was based on a licensed uh, license character, like, you know, TV, film. Of course, they were that much more important then. Um, it, it's changed in that other sectors have come out. As the big people have got bigger, others have to find niches to go into. So whether you've got brands, whether you've got, you know, art licenses, some of that does very well. Some of the brand licensing is phenomenal. Some companies are making an enormous amount of money on brand licensing and are very quiet about it, very rarely speak about it. Um, well, uh, motive was an area that never existed before and suddenly came to the forefront. And so it goes on. You know, people look for different sectors now and what can be done with them. If there's a brand that has a certain amount of leverage, then in theory, it can be licensed. Yes, and if people, it's it all comes back to what people love about licensing. It's about licensed products or licensed brands. Yeah. Or it, yeah. if there is an emotional attachment to something, somebody exactly. is going to want a T-shirt of it. Yes. Somebody is going to want music about it. Somebody yeah. is going to. There's always something there that people are going to want. Yeah, it is that, and some of it's aspirational, and a lot of it is aspirational, um, for, in terms of brands, certainly. Um, for kids, obviously, they see it on screen, they see it on their iPads, they see it on TV, they see it on video or wherever, and that's what they want. You know, you see Peppa Pig on there enough, you're going to want a Peppa Pig. Exactly. So what, in your opinion, is the most fun or interesting thing about the licensing industry? I said the people uh, are the most fun, but the way it's changed. I mean, it is now quite a grown-up industry, if you like. It's very professional now. 20, 25 years ago, it was kind of disorganized chaos, really. I mean, there were licensing expos we used to go to 20, 25 years ago, where I'll give you an example of, of <clears throat> a brand. Somebody actually booked a booth and sat her six-year-old son on the booth and made him smile for three days. She was licensing his smile. So, Incredible. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> Poor kid. MGM, <laughs> bless them, actually had a real lion on their booth. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know if UBM would let that much, it, was, it was like a circus. You know, it was full of animals. It was full of, you know, there was a chimpanzee on roller skates. There was, there were dogs, cats, anything. It was very much, let's see if we can license it. And that's changed. Hugely yeah. over the years, you know. Now it is a professional body, and it's still fun. I have oh, yeah. to say, oh yeah, it's got to be fun. You wouldn't um, do it <laughs> exactly. Um, so have you seen any cycles in the industry? Um, you know, brands versus entertainment versus generic, uh, versus children's versus uh, adults, anything like that. Depending on the economy, when the economy is down, then you tend to get more classic brands on nostalgic brands. People obviously looking for something warm and cuddly. Um, that tends to follow follow the economy, strangely. If the economy is doing really well and booming, then you'll get new stuff. If you don't, you get extensions of existing stuff, and you do get a lot of the classics, a lot of things that people remember from their childhood, a lot of things that made them feel comfortable. 
uh, after 9-11. It was, it was very much classic brands, you know, nice, in inverted commas, brands that came to the forefront because that's what people wanted. They were disturbed and they wanted, you know, comfort through that. So there are cycles of that. In the kids' industry, not really so much. It depends. A lot depends on the movies coming out. It still depends on movies. You know, if Disney have, like they have this year, Frozen 2, that's going to be popular, without doubt. Um, years where you have a lot of blockbuster movies do very well. Other years, not as well. But that's that's normal cycle. So what do you think about the uh, uh, the whole with the binge watching of say Netflix shows uh, or now Amazon is coming out with a lot of shows that have massive potential for, for monetization and for creating consumer product. However, they are short lived in the mind's eye because once people have finished watching the show, they are not necessarily as interested in having the product for it. I think they still, if if they're going to, if they're willing to binge watch several series and use however many hours of their life doing it, I think probably they they'd be interested in the product. But the product's got to be good. Yes, you know, the days of just putting a logo on a t-shirt just simply don't work. Hmm. You know, product has to be a lot cleverer now for kids. It's got to be well, a lot of it's interactive, a lot of it's educational, the whole STEM thing. It, it's not just a toy with a logo on it now. And it has to have an app to go along with it and a website. At least. <laughs> At least. You have to completely engage the kids these days to yeah, keep their do. attention. You do, and you do keep you do keep their attention. And they still know what they like. It just means that they can watch it when they want. Exactly. And over and over again. If uh, if my kids were any uh, any yeah, indication, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. over and over the same thing. But that's how they learn, isn't it? They used, you know, in the days when video was out, then they'd watch a video over and over and over again. Yes. Now they can watch it, okay, on any screen. Marvelous. So, what do you think is the driving force behind why people gravitate towards licensed products? I think it's a lot of it's aspirational. I think for, for for adults buying licensed products, it is aspirational. Whether it's a you know Victoria and Albert uh, product that is very beautiful for the home, that has come from a William Morris pattern or something, it's aspirational. Um, for kids, it is what they watch, and it's what their friends have. It's peer pressure, um, okay. depending on the age, you know. Um. So, what's your favorite property? Oh, very hard to answer. It's really hard to answer. I mean, I personally love The Little Prince, which is not as popular maybe as, as some of the big blockbusters, but it's based on the most fabulous book, which I loved as a child and loved as an adult. So naturally, I look at that and think, yeah, I like that. So it's uh, so I would say that's aspirational. It brings you back to a time yeah. when you when you were really happy bringing that book. It uh, yeah. it it creates that emotion over for you exactly exactly and i'm sure you know today's children will be doing the same with with, with other books with other you know with with all sorts of things do you have any little prince uh um product no 
product. Maybe a teacup. <laughs> it's too close, really. Yeah, you know, I have the book. <laughs> That's fine. No, I don't. But it is. It's just very beautifully. It was beautifully done. It was very faithful to the book done. The animation and the licensing that came off it was very nice. So to me, it was it was something special that one. So are there any particular trends you're seeing in the monetization of IP, such as ideas in theme park licensing, digital rights, avatar skins, things like that, like brand new ideas and products that, you know, because of technology or because somebody just didn't even think about it is, is a new sort of realm. I think, I mean, there are obviously a lot of technological products coming out. You've also got the backlash against it where, You've got, if you go around the toy industry, you've got a lot of wooden toys now and a lot of simple toys because technology has almost gone to the point where you go full circle and you go start again. Um, I think the trends, there are always trends within every sector, really, to be honest. And the kids' side, trends are, it's going to, it does depend on what's on, what they can watch, what they want to watch. I mean, there are some properties that just do well anywhere in the world. Peppa Pig is an example. Hmm. Yes. Extraordinarily. I mean, it's even it's popular in the Middle East, and it's a pig, remember? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Popular right across the world. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's incredible how some brands and some, some <laughs> IP is just transcendent. And yeah, really catch it, yeah. And it's also something every now and then. This, you know, Peppa was new; it was something fresh, at 15 years ago. But um, Nickelodeon come up with a lot of new material, and that appeals because there's, uh, you know, a huge pr- proliferation of sequels and prequels. Massive pr- the studios, I, which I understand why. Um, are looking to to capitalize on a brand awareness, brand whatever it is. So they they go for the sequels and they, they go for you know Star Wars fifteen or or well Frozen two or right Jurassic Park four or five because they're popular. But every now and then it needs to have something new, something fresh, and something people can latch on to. Hmm. So uh, we're just about up on time. Just one more question, if you don't Mm. mind. What do you see as the biggest challenges to the licensing industry in the near future? Retail, without doubt. You know, there's a consolidation of retail. There's the whole online versus bricks and mortar. And the, the licensing industry is having to find ways of getting people into stores to buy and that's very much leading to a lot of experiential um licensing a lot of events a lot of shows a lot of much more kind of interactive licensing now where people can join in where it's part of you know they can do it rather than just a product a product in a shop is fine but it's not going to really attract a load of people who could buy it on amazon um just to extend that, I noticed just working in the uh, in the subscription box industry at some point in my career, I realized there's a limit to how many um, products people can actually fit on their desk. 
Yes. Before they true. say, <laughs> before they say, yeah. okay, that that's enough. I can't. I don't have any more desk space. Yeah, there is that. There is that. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't reached that yet. But <laughs> just got a bigger office, right? The needs just go higher. <laughs> but there is, and and people still they want to immerse themselves in a brand. So you can have you know a stage show, which gets the kids interested, which gets them gets them g'd up and they will buy the product that goes with it but it needs something like that to get them in or something in a shopper play area uh you know interactive area in a store that that is there to entertain as well as being a way that you can buy stuff it, a shop can't just be simply product on shelves now it's about it's about conjoining the experience with the yeah. product Exactly. And and making it something that you can't get online. Like a like a rock and roll tour t shirt. The ones that you can only buy at the at the at the event. There you go. <laughs> that sort of thing. Or something that, you know, you go into a toy store and, and okay, Toys R Us was not a good example, but a toy store should be fun, it should be entertaining, it should be awesome to a child, not just a load of products on shelves. Exactly. And that's and the, there that, keeps the parents there buying things. And that truly is a lesson uh, to be learned by a lot of retailers going forward is that is. that is something that can that has to be harnessed. Yeah, and it it's very interesting that you brought that up as one of the last points, because it's it's almost like there's a there's a bit of a solution there. It, it's going to take some work, but I think that retailers are slowly starting to come around and see they what they need to do. They are, and more and more have things happening. And Lululemon has yoga lessons in the store. Well, that gets people in. They'll probably buy while they're there, but they're going in for a reason. They're going in for a reason that they cannot get online. And that's what that somehow is now very important. People expect more from a store than just products. Very, very interesting. Well, that's a, a half hour. I thank you so much, Francesca. That was absolutely marvelous. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Really enjoyed it. Thank All you. Right. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thanks and you, Mark. Bye. Bye. Once again, I would like to thank our guest, Francesca Ash, and we will see you all next week on the Licensing Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>